0: My name is Mary Rachel Robbins, and I've been a member at MPC for the past six years, ever since I was a Capital Fellow here. Our scripture reading this morning is from Luke 22, verses 7 through 20. Then came the day of unleavened bread, on which the Passover lamb had to be sacrificed. So Jesus sent Peter and John, saying, Go and prepare the Passover for us, that we may eat it. They said to him, Where will you have us prepare it? And he took bread, and when he had given thanks, he broke it and gave it to them, saying, This is my body, which is given for you. Do this in remembrance of me. And likewise the cup after they had eaten, saying, This cup that is poured out for you is the new covenant in my blood. This is the word of the Lord.
1: Well, good morning, friends. My name is Nathan. I'm one of the assistant pastors here at MPC, and it's a privilege to bring God's Word this morning. If you lost your place, turn with me again to Luke chapter 22, Luke chapter 22, verses 7 through 20. It's found on uh, page 881 in uh, the Bibles, if you had one from in here this Sunday we're going to continue in on a sermon series that we've been doing throughout the summer, Hungry for More, where we've been looking at the meals that Jesus ate and what are the lessons that we can learn from some of these meals. A couple things uh, about this meal this week that is a little different. The past meals, we've been talking a lot about those who've been present at the meals, those notorious sinners, you know, who God, uh, who Jesus ate with, these judgmental religious people, people who Jesus calls out and confronts publicly. And these are the ones too that he shows his mercy as well. In today's passage though, the meal is given, or the attention rather, is given to the meal itself. So in most of the meals, Jesus has been the one that's been invited, but our meal this morning, we see that he is the one who has set the invite list, set the time, and the place. So pray with me, and then we'll jump in to this text together and see what God has to say with us. Heavenly Father, we need to hear from you today. So would you quiet our hearts and minds from all of those things which might distract us confront those of us who come to this time complacently and comfort those of us who come burdened and broken. May the words of my mouth and the meditations of our hearts be pleasing to you. Come, in power we pray, in Jesus' name. Amen. History is at times transformed by something as simple as a meal in the summer of nineteen sixty four young men students at North Carolina Agricultural and Technical uh, School walked into Woolworths, a restaurant in Greensboro, North Carolina, where they uh, ordered a meal politely sat at the whites only counter and were denied service and in protest, they sat in the first sit-in, refusing to leave, changing the course of history. Perhaps you can go back a little bit further to the summer of 1790. Three young men, Thomas Jefferson, James Madison, and Alexander Hamilton, are at a political impasse about what to do about the debt that the states had racked up during the Revolutionary War and where this young nation's capital might be. And so the story goes, Jefferson invites Madison and Hamilton into his home uh, for a meal. Uh, The conversation is lubricated by some of his choice French wine, and they work out a compromise where the federal government will take on the state's debts and owe that little place between Maryland and Virginia would become this young nation's capital and if you go to a certain musical that I hear is playing at the, the Kennedy Center, uh, one Jess and I, my wife, were privileged of seeing uh, a few weeks ago uh, using our, our birthday money and uh, Christmas money and anniversary money and uh, second mortgage, um, it, it was totally worth it. Uh, you'll learn about this dinner party in a song that Aaron Burr sings called The Room where it happened. So here are some of the lyrics. I challenged Rob to wrap this in the sanctuary. I'm going to do my best. The immigrant emerges with unprecedented financial power, a system he can shape however he wants. The Virginians emerge with the nation's capital. And here's the pièce de résistance. No one else was in the room where it happened, the room where it happened, the room where it happened. Maybe if you've seen the musical, you know where I am. But thank you. Thank you. <clears throat> There are meals that change the course of history and no meal brings about greater change than the meal that we're going to look at this morning. It's been said that this meal stands at the center of history. So let's enjoy our way through Luke's account of this meal and look together at how it not only feeds us, but it forms us as well. So we'll use two headings to guide us this morning. First is Passover, a reminder of a past that should never be forgotten. And the second is the Lord's Supper, a future that is embodied in a meal. So a reminder of a past that should never be forgotten, and a future that is embodied in a meal. So look with me at the first couple verses Of our text, uh, verses 7 and 8. Then came the day of the unleavened bread on which the Passover lamb had to be sacrificed. So Jesus sent Peter and John saying, Go and prepare the Passover for us that we may eat it. It was Passover. Luke reminds us of this five times in the space of a couple paragraphs, so you can be sure that it is important. And the verses following, verses uh, seven and eight, we see that Jesus sends his disciple, disciples into the city to uh, find a place that they can prepare the Passover meal. And they do just as Jesus had asked them and they find their fully furnished Airbnb complete with a little efficiency kitchen, kitchen where they can cook the meal. We see that in verse 13. But don't miss this important point. That as the authorities are closing in and we know the betrayal is soon at hand, the cross lies before Jesus and yet he is very much in control of this situation. Down to every small detail, even the small detail of the man carrying the water jar that they would find who would have this place prearranged for them. So chaotic, confusing, and painful circumstances don't mean that God is absent, or not in control, or that he's not working for our good. And I would venture to guess that for most of you, it's been a while since you've been thinking about the Passover. So let's just talk a little bit about the context of Passover before we dive into this meal together. The Passover meal reminded Israel that they were a people chosen by God, uniquely blessed by him, delivered by God. And at the end of the meal, someone, usually the youngest son, would ask this question, why is this night different than all the other nights? And we know uh, Jesus probably asked this question himself growing up in a Jewish household. Uh, we we're told earlier in Luke's gospel that his family annually made the trek to the walled city Of Jerusalem to partake of this meal. But each element of the meal reminded the Israelites of God's redemption from them, from Egypt, from slavery. If you remember millennia ago, the Israelites were were slaves under the evil king, uh, Pharaoh, king of Egypt, and he wouldn't free them from their bondage. And so God sent plagues to soften the king's heart. If you remember, the final plague that God sent was the angel, the angel of death that brought certain death to the firstborn child of every household in Egypt. And it was a foretaste of God's divine justice towards those who ultimately betray his love. Now, if you're new here this morning, or if you're just exploring this Christianity thing, hold on with me. This whole angel of death and, you know, death of the firstborn might sound a bit crazy. Come. This is a place where you can come with your your questions, come with your doubts. We're actually tonight after the evening service going to have a Q&A, so uh, we would love to interact and dialogue with you. Come, and I will gladly direct all of your hard questions to Bill. So, uh, but back to this judgment. Uh, of course, this judgment, it's reserved for all of us. This judgment is reserved for all human beings, not just the Egyptians. The Bible says we're all subject to God's divine judgment. So what makes the Israelites different in this story? How are they able to survive the night? God tells them uh, in the book of Exodus that in every home, the Israelite families are to take a lamb, to slaughter the lamb, to cook the lamb, to eat the lamb, And to put the blood of the lamb over the doorpost of their home. They take shelter under the blood of the lamb. And the lamb dies instead of anyone inside the home. So that when the angel of death comes and sees the blood on the doorposts, he will pass over that household and that they will be saved from that judgment. So we know from the story that Israel is saved by the blood of the lamb and who died in place of those in the household. And as a result, we know that they were freed from slavery in Egypt. Now, imagine the night of the Passover. What that meal must have been like. Kids, are you the firstborn? Are you the oldest? I am parents. Put your put your hand on your oldest, your firstborn, and firstborns who are in here. Imagine with me what that night must have been like as you see the lamb chops in the center of the table and realize that that is me, apart from the shed blood of the lamb. If he didn't die in my place, then I would have died, and I imagine that the firstborn in Israel never looked at a lamb again the same. And as a reminder of God passing over his people, Exodus 12 says, therefore there must be a perpetual memorial that must never be changed, that once a year this meal will remember that incredible, wonderful liberation of God delivering his people from Egypt, a reminder of a past that should not be forgotten, a reminder of God's deliverance of his people. That is until this night, the night on which Jesus was betrayed, where that question is still hanging in the air, why is this night different from all other nights? And Jesus begins his answer to his disciples, but not in the way his disciples would have expected. And so that brings us to our second point, the Lord's Supper, where we move in and see verses 14 through 20, a future that is embodied in a meal. A future that is embodied in a meal. Jesus began to make radical changes to this meal. We see those changes in verses 14 through 20. I just read from Exodus 12 where Moses said, this must never be changed, and yet Jesus changes the language of the meal. Who would dare change the words of Moses? You can be sure that no first century Jew would have ever imagined that thought. This is a big deal. Only God can change the words that God has decreed. And Jesus is proclaiming himself, even in the very words of this supper, to be God. And so Jesus gets up and he talks about the bread. But instead of taking the bread and saying, this is the bread of our affliction which we ate in the wilderness, he takes the bread and says, this is my body. This is is the bread of my affliction broken for you. We know it it wasn't uncommon to take bread and to drink wine, uh, bless these things during the Passover. The, this typical meal consisted of different foods that reminded people of the exodus. Bitter herbs to remind them of the bitterness of slavery. Unleavened bread because they didn't have time to bake it. We know that there were uh, symbols baked into literally all of the elements of this meal. But as one commentator noted at this last supper meal there's no mention of the lamb why is there no mention of the lamb at this last supper we talked a bit earlier about how a young kid would be the one to ask this question why is this night different from all other nights and kids of course we know are good at asking that question Why, why can't I watch this movie? Why can't I go to my friend's house? Why is dad eating so much? Why, why, why is uh, the questions that we hear them ask over and over. So surely at some point in the history of Israel, some 11 year old kid asked this question, why in the world was the blood of a lamb enough to satisfy God's judgment? Why was the lamb enough to satisfy God's judgment? A perfectly good question, one that Isaiah and the great prophets answer for us in chapter 53 of Isaiah. The simple answer is, it wasn't. Isaiah and the great prophets knew that the the sins of Israel were not enough uh, to be taken away by a cute little lamb, that the The lamb pointed to a greater substitute. And so Isaiah 53 says, we all like sheep have gone astray. We've turned each to our own way and the Lord has laid on him the iniquity of us all. He was oppressed and afflicted, yet he did not open his mouth. He was led like a lamb to the slaughter and as a sheep before her shears is silent, so he did not open his mouth. And so we see that the prophets of old, they too understood that the lamb was ultimately not enough in this Passover meal. That Jesus is saying at the table that that substitute is me. What he's saying is, I'm the lamb who takes away the sins of the world. I'm the one. And everything we know about Passover pointed to this moment in history, when Jesus, Son of God, Savior of the world, would give up his life for you and for me and, and give us a meal as a reminder of his love. This meal stands at the center Of history, at the center of God's plan of redemption. But we know that the story doesn't stop there. Jesus has come, but the scriptures tell us that he will come again. Notice he says several times, I will not eat this again, I will not drink this again until the kingdom comes. Jesus is talking about another meal that is coming in the future, the marriage feast of the lamb, which we see in Revelation 19. Bill is going to preach on that in a couple weeks, but until this time, Jesus wants his followers, you and me, to do this. What is the this? To eat and drink from his table as a means of grace to satisfy our souls. When we eat from the Lord's table, that's what we say. It's a means of grace to satisfy our souls. So what are some of the ways that this meal, the Lord's Supper, satisfies our souls? Let's consider, just in closing, three applications, three ways that we are formed by the Lord's Supper. The first way that we're formed is that we're formed as family in the midst of a fragmented culture. We're formed as family in the midst of a fragmented culture. Passover was a meal that was to be enjoyed with the family. There was no taking of the Passover on the back of your donkey while you were going to run errands. This was not a meal that you took by yourself. We see this in this passage when Jesus institutes the Lord's Supper. He calls his disciples together. Look at verse 15. Eagerly wanting to be with them. Through this meal, Jesus is telling us that he wants to be with us. That he wants us to continue to gather as a family and to take this meal together. I imagine I don't need to convince you that we live in a fragmented culture. Our city is divided politically. We're divided by socioeconomic and racial realities. But when we come to the Lord's table, we remember that we don't come alone. We are not alone. We come to the Lord's table as a family. Because of Jesus, we are part of a family, a family that's not marked by our political persuasions or by the color of our sin but by our confession that our only hope for healing for healing from our shame and our brokenness is as we've just sang the blood of the lamb the brokenness of the lamb of god our savior jesus christ and so the next time when you're passing those silver trays or when you come up to the front of the sanctuary to take the bread and the cup, look around at your family and smile at the people that God has put in your life. Don't take it for granted, the family that we have when we take the Lord's Supper together. Christ calling his people to share this meal together makes it clear that there is no such thing as Lone Ranger Christianity. We are formed as family in the midst of a fragmented culture. The second way we're formed, we are formed by remembering regularly what we are prone to forget. We are formed by remembering regularly what we are prone to forget. Look at verse 19. Do this in remembrance of me, it's a little bit sad that we have to have something as a reminder of the amazing and great sacrifice that Jesus has done for us on the cross. But he knew that we needed something to remember. But the Lord's Supper isn't primarily about the food, but it is about who is giving it to us. Are you prone to forget this? I know that I am. Let me tell you, about one of the ways that I'm prone to forget. It's so easy to find my identity in my relationship with food. There's hardly a day that goes by where I don't uh, look at the numbers on the scale and define myself and my worth. You may not know this about me, but I've never felt comfortable a day in my life without without my shirt on, being defined by my relationship with food and the way that I view my body. Forgetting that after the first meal in the garden, God clothed Adam and Eve. He covered their shame and their brokenness, even in the midst of this meal. And so what is your story? What is your story with food, perhaps you've struggled with body image like, like I have. If you've struggled with anorexia, you uh, perhaps maybe feel that food is your only way of exercising control in a world that is out of control. And it's so sad really because food is meant to express our dependence upon God, but instead we have substituted. We've tried to express our independence from God by the way that we relate to food. Food, though we know, ultimately never satisfies. How many times are you sitting down at a meal with family and you're talking about the next meal, right? You're talking about a meal you've had, or you're talking about a meal that you are going to. Food always points us to something else. And this meal reminds us of who Jesus is and what he's done for us. We're so prone to forget what this meal is pointing us to. And the meal, the reality of the meal is that Jesus is gonna come again and we are going to eat with him. The meal is not just a metaphor. We will one day toast Jesus to his victory over sin And over death. And all we bring to the table is our sin. But praise be to God that Jesus sees through our mess. He knows everything we've done, and yet He still loves us the same. He still welcomes us to His table. So when we see the table before us, we ought to have almost a Pavlovian response instead of hungering for the bread and for the wine when we see the trays set before us that we hunger for Jesus as what we're called to do when we remember who he is do this in remembrance of Jesus we're formed by remembering regularly what we're prone to forget The third way that we are formed by the Lord's Supper, third and final way we're formed by the Lord's Supper, is by confronting our hunger and our satisfaction. By confronting our hunger and our satisfaction. Are you hungry for satisfaction? Consider uh, this question as maybe even a diagnostic of your own heart. What are the things that you are filling your life with to express your independence from God? What are the things that you're filling your life with to express your independence from God? Perhaps for you it's food, perhaps it's something else. We are called to repent from binging on what the world has to offer us and feast upon Christ. Christ. There is nothing else that will ultimately satisfy our souls than Jesus Christ himself. And it's a shame we're not celebrating the Lord's Supper today. I'm hungry. But we're also told in scriptures to prepare for the meal, to prepare for the Lord's Supper. Paul says in 1 Corinthians 11, Let a person examine himself then and so eat of the bread and drink of the cup. So there is something good and right for us to to have tension, to feel hungry for the Lord's Supper even this morning and not be able to partake of it together. So how do we do that? How do we examine ourselves? The Bible would call us all, whether you are a Christian or a non-Christian, to repent and believe in the gospel. Believe on Jesus. And if you've never taken that step, please come and speak with me or anyone up on the stage after the service. We are just beggars hoping to show other beggars where we've found bread. We, we want you to be able to taste and see what we have experienced in our relationship with Christ. This is one banquet that you don't want to miss. And the best part of all is it's free and it's abundant. It's free and abundant. Don't leave hungry today. And Christians, the next time we share communion together, let's not let it feel like a funeral reception of someone we barely knew. The way I picture it uh, is in just a moment, our junior high students, our kids are gonna flock to this table and they're gonna beat you to all of the snacks. In just a moment, they're gonna race to that table, descend on it like a swarm of locusts. That is probably a closer picture for us in coming to the Lord's Supper. Come hungry, leave satisfied sermon in a sentence remember the past look to the future enjoy present communion with Christ in the Lord's Supper let's pray together Heavenly Father we thank you that we can come into your presence even now that you Give us access to your thrones through the blood of Jesus. That you pass over our sins. That you don't look on us even as we do at times. That you see the perfect, spotless righteousness of your son Jesus on our behalf. We pray for that covering. We are thankful that you give us a tangible reminder of that meal, of your love for us in Jesus. In whose name we pray, amen.